Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, January 25th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. We have part two of our outfield preview. If you missed part one, that is the episode right before this one in the feed. We started our position preview series a little over a week ago and moved around the infield almost through the position players now. And some things have actually happened both in the fantasy industry and in baseball in terms of some key signings and player movements. We're going to catch up on those things first before we get back into our outfield preview today. Uh, let's start on the fun side. Let's start with some players on the move. It finally happened. You know, Reese Hoskins is a brewer. It's a two-year deal with an opt-out after the first year, a much-needed power bat addition for the Brewers, a guy that tends to be 20 to 30% better than league average in a typical season by WRC+. Going from a hitter-friendly environment in Philadelphia to at least a park that boosts homers, even if it's less hitter-friendly all around with the move to American Family Field. But we talked about him on the first base preview. I thought he was one of the better values at the position. Now that he has a home, I think the reasonable assumption is that it's going to take a little more to get Reese Hoskins in your draft. He's probably going to creep up the board and end up somewhere in that pick 140, 150 range, just based on the track record that he has put together as a great power hitting first baseman. It's a, a fair point that you bring up, though, I hadn't seen talked about much is the the sort of hit suppression. Uh, he does strike out more than league average and sometimes uh, for his career, 48% fly ball, 50% fly ball guy that has managed to avoid the 220s. There is a chance that this move makes him more Schwaba-like, more Schwarberian. <laughs> and you get more of a 225-35 type package from him. Possible. But I think 30-plus homers are still very much in play. Yeah, Good run RBI totals uh, just as a result of being a high-volume player. Initially, Jake Bowers had a spot atop the depth chart in Milwaukee at first base. He's still there as part of the first base DH rotation, but I think you could take a significant chunk of playing time away from him with the addition of Hoskins. Uh, Brewers also added Christian Arroyo on a uh, minor league deal on Thursday morning, probably some extra competition for that third base spot, which is also a bit of a weak spot on the depth chart right now. Spending in terms of, you know, is it going to be Toro, uh, not Toro, uh, Ro, not, that's Toro and Rojas. Royal. Uh, Turang and uh, Monasterio Black. Probably Tyler Black once they decide he's ready. By far the most impactful hitter of the options they have. But not a free agent at those two positions, you don't think? doesn't seem like it. I think the one thing you could consider is if if this lingers on uh, free agency for a lot of key players, like a Matt Chapman, if he's still a free agent in late February, maybe a one-year pillow deal for someone like that becomes possible. But my read on the Brewers is that they're reluctant to add 
players on long-term contracts right now because they're kind of caught in between trying to figure out if they need to make a move into their next competitive window with the young prospects they have coming up. I think their ideal <laughs> ideal outcome is to not have a down season, just sort of bridge the gap perfectly. But as we know, that can be pretty difficult. Uh, but if you know, if you think back of five or six years ago, they traded for Christian Yelich, I think in 2018 on this day, and they signed Lorenzo Cain to a five-year deal around the same time. I don't think a deal like that Cain deal is coming for a guy like Matt Chapman. It'd be great if it did. Even that one was, I don't know if it was below market, but it was a mid-market type deal. It wasn't like a 5 and 50 type thing where, you know, that wasn't like, what's the 5 and 50 of today is probably, you know, 5 and 100 actually. Or right, five, right. 580, like, yeah, maybe that's not on the table either. Um, but uh, we had a, a real surprising one uh, in Houston. Holy smokes. Yeah, Josh Hader to Houston? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought I looked at Ryan Presley. I thought the the numbers in terms of what you have in the stuff plus model, the underlying numbers for the season, everything looked so good for Presley. I thought there's no way they would be the team that would throw big bucks at Hater. They have a, a proven closer. Why would you bother in this case? There's other things in this roster you could potentially upgrade. It doesn't hurt, right? It's adding another great arm to the bullpen. But this is a, a tough break if you if you drafted early. And thought Ryan Presley was in the circle of trust. And I certainly would have thought he was in there. I just didn't do enough early drafts. Now he's a setup guy by all accounts. A little bit old for me in the knees. You know, the knees have been an issue. And uh, so I had him just outside the circle of trust. And I, I, I do find it interesting that as we talked about it on the 3-0 show, this seems to be kind of a short-term nod and, and like a playoff not like like we have enough in Verlander, etc. You know, to to set up a playoff rotation, we have enough back end pitching to you know get our way through those those five days, you know, those four and five days, uh, and get to the playoffs. Let's have an amazing uh, bullpen in the playoffs, and that's kind of how I read this. Also, Presley's deal, I believe, is up after next year so this is kind of like signing the replacement a year early so you can have both mm -hmm. um you kind of thought maybe abreu would take over but having brian abreu and those two is pretty stellar i mean this has got to be the best bullpen now on paper or at least top two three you know yeah it's as good as any trio you're going to find league-wide just in terms of overall quality so a tough break for Ryan Presley if you happen to draft him early, if you got him in a keeper league. Actually, I do have one Ryan Presley share. It's in the XFL, the league that we do the auction rejects. for in the fall. Yeah, I just thought, I got 20 to spend on a closer. I better get one that's not going to lose his job. Felix Bautista and Ryan Presley. Presley is the only closer we have in that particular league because usually in the March supplemental, there's some guys that have emerged. We thought we'd get our second closer then. Now we have to consider the possibility of just punting the category outright. Or I need to get two in that draft, yeah. Which is not great because that's where you get your prospects. So, yeah. Not really psyched about that landing spot, but it does make the Astros bullpen better. Uh, how about Robert Stevenson landing with the Angels? We've seen some follow up news Bob that's come Steve. down in the, the days since. He's not, <laughs> Bob Steve, he's not necessarily going to close, even though. He's got the best stuff in that bullpen. It looks like Carlos Estevez, at least to begin spring training. Oh, has there been news? He's, for now, the guy. Now, 
Perry Mason said Tuesday, Estevez remains the team's closer on paper, even after the Robert Stevenson signing. That was according to Taylor Blake Ward of the Sporting News. That was, I used my divining rod and, and thought that Estevez might, might at least start the season as a closer. But, 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 but. Manajan did say the closer decision ultimately is up to Ron Washington. Mm. You got a new manager there who's going to do things his way. I think you could see that job change hands over the course of spring. I would not be surprised. It's Stevenson kind of one of those should be the guys. I think like I, yeah, I, it's it's not a stay away because one of them is going to be all right. Uh, and yeah, the stuff bet is on Stevenson. So. And they brought back Matt Moore, too. So their bullpen actually got a lot better with those two additions. Amazing that Matt Moore came back. Just, you know, in a non-fantasy standpoint, the fact that Matt Moore went back to the team that jettisoned him after the trade deadline to try and save money to get under the cap. <laughs> he was right back. And, and like, it, this is just like, I, I'm going to make another $9 million. I don't, like, it's not like I'm joining a contender, <laughs> like joining the team after Otani leaves. Maybe you just wanted to keep things uh, in place. Maybe never even got Maybe rid of the apartment or the house yeah. like Anaheim. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if he's got children or what the situation is, but yeah. might have been more comfortable to just stay. Uh, the Dodgers added to their starting pitcher, James Paxton, added to their mix. And I think you were starting to say that as you project out innings for this entire group, <laughs> the number just keeps going down. We know Paxton's had a lot of difficulty staying healthy. Um, you mentioned in the 3-0 show, the fastball velocity was back. The breaking ball velocity was still down. So there's still a question as to whether or not that's going to come back. I had no idea why. But I was also it's trying weird. to rank Emmett Sheehan for the rankings that should come out uh, on Monday. Um, and uh, it's January 29th, because you might be listening to this whenever. <laughs> um, is that uh, uh, the leader in innings last year for the Dodgers was Clayton Kershaw with 130. Uh, and that the fourth the fourth uh, best starting pitcher by innings um, had 60 innings. It was like Michael Grove. Um, and this is a team that uh, is kind of, without telling people, is running a six-man rotation. Uh, most of their pitchers pitch on extra days of rest. Uh, they just don't call it that. So I immediately downgraded all of the Dodgers <laughs> in my rankings. It's just like, I think the tops of that anybody, I think Bobby Miller will top the Dodgers this year with 140 innings. I have more optimism than you do about the possible outcomes. I think they are just setting themselves up to be covered with five starters they like no matter what combination of injuries might befall them but i think there's a world in which you get some combination of glass now yamamoto and even bobby miller all above 150 i think that can happen mm. i think they're 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 probably going to be as we've talked about worked in a at least soft six-man rotation yeah they don't come out and say reason it. to do the six-man rotation yeah yeah, and I think next year when Otani's pitching again, another reason to have a six-man rotation, and they've been doing it for a long time. They've been giving guys plenty of rest. It hasn't really hurt them in terms of fantasy value anyway, so mm. it's fine. I'm, I'm okay with this. two starters, I guess. But. Yeah, there's not that many two starters out there anyway. Maybe we overrate yeah. two starters just a little bit, but uh, Paxton lands with the Dodgers. I thought maybe he'd land somewhere more desperate for pitching. You know, there's plenty of teams that need someone that could pitch like a two or a three 
at the price of a four or a five, and you never know what you're going to get for innings from Paxton, but that that risk-reward profile is still pretty enticing, even with the aforementioned issues uh, with the uh, fast ball, or the breaking Break ball, ball velocity. velocity yeah. Which he doesn't understand, but you know, he hopefully it'll figure itself out. One more name to get to here. Joey Gallo has found a new home. He goes to the Nationals. That's a pretty soft depth chart in terms of carving out a role. I think we're at the point with Gallo. It's been four consecutive years with a batting average under 200. Only one of those years he's been really good in OBP. That was back in 2021. He had a 351 OBP that year. Is this sort of the the last hurrah for Joey Gallo before a possible move maybe to NPB in the future where he could go and hit 40-plus homers and just end up on a lot of posters and, and have kind of a second career overseas? Yeah, I mean, the, the, who are some of the biggest ones that went over there? Alex Cabrera and uh, Tuffy Rhodes, you know. It seems to be a little bit of a, a Tuffy Rhodesian uh, thing in here. I think Tuffy, <laughs> Tuffy Rhodes, Rhodes over there had like four homers in a game and may have the, the record. There was some controversy where he has the record for home runs, but they still give it to O because they call it the like Japanese record. <laughs> oh, so they do that over okay. We're, we're like, not, like, they do we're stuff like that here. That. Let's not let's not like waggle our fingers at Japan. No, yes, like that's this we, is... we had a whole thing where it's like Aaron Judge is going for the American League record. Why is he going for the American League record? Like <laughs> baseball just trying to quietly remove Barry Bonds as the exactly. single season home run record holder. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, well speaking of uh making changes to the, the record book, <laughs> there is the the least exciting menu item on our on our intro here. Yeah, so a bit of a shocker here. The, this is becoming a kind of a national story, but the National Fantasy Football Championship, the NFFC, NFBC, it's all one big company. They have multiple sport offerings. You hear us talk a lot about NFBC leagues, NFBC ADP on this show. Uh, there has been a, a pretty big scandal that has broken in the NFFC. The Contest acknowledged that they have uh, fired an employee who was using internal controls to make advantageous changes to a contestant's roster after games had started. So there was a postseason contest in which lineup changes were happening after games had started. After guys had just guys had played a touchdown, you know, minutes right. after that guy's back in the lineup. Right. And it was it was discovered by Ship Chasing podcast, Pete Overzet. And uh, other hosts over there kind of have this 45-minute episode if you want to kind of do the deep dive on it. So this is, it's huge because it's an employee of the contest working with a contestant in the contest. Who he had had a previous sort of relationship, demonstrable relationship, online relationship, some sort of either friend or family situation where they knew each other and interacted a bunch. Right. So at this point, the extent beyond this particular contest is still unclear. It raises a ton of questions about the integrity of various leagues that have taken place going back years, right? So it's going to take time to really figure out how wide the scope of this really is. But it's just, it's it's tough. It's tough to see this happen. It's, it's always something that you kind of worry about in fantasy sports and the sports betting space, the integrity being compromised. And unfortunately, that appears to have been a, a pretty significant issue here but it's just a question of the magnitude right now we don't know if this is something that occurred in other sports 
if it occurred beyond the postseason contest, if it's been a problem for multiple years. But that is subject to, I think, a probably lengthy investigation. Yeah, I've watched the long video. I'm no, I'm, I don't have any inside knowledge beyond that. Um, but I'm of two minds. One is that, you know, these are high stake games and the way that it was caught, um, actually gives me some hope because the way that it was caught was another team, um, was watching that team because they were both in the top 10 and they were trying to make decisions off each other. And they just noticed that, uh, they thought there was a big decision between, uh, Travis Kelsey and uh, Rice. Man, you're not a football guy. <laughs> oh, some guy Rice. Um, and, Rasheed Rice. Yeah, Rasheed Rice. And the the the, the guy uh, ahead of them who had surged ahead of them due to another um, post-lock change the week before, um, the guy that had surged ahead of them picked Rasheed Rice, so they were all celebrating. And they knew it was post-lock because you only see what the other teams have once the lock is in place. So they they said, we got Kelsey, he got Rice, like, this is how we get past him. And so I actually think that's a sort of a positive thing because, you know, since these games are so high stakes, you're talking about 100,000, 200,000, you know, big, big overall prizes. Um, I would assume that if it was happening a lot, other people would have caught them. So I don't know. It also, the other mind that is like, this was kind of a silly thing. That's pretty obvious, like a post-lock change. And there are other ways that he could have been doing this. And it seems kind of unlikely that this is the first time ever. So that's the, that's where I am in my headspace kind of stuck in between. I'm going to finish, you know, the drafts that I've paid for and that I'm in. I enjoy the platform. We talk about it here. Um, but in, in terms of signing up for the future, I kind of want a, a rigorous sort of examination of that person's moves and, you know, I don't know, some sort of more assurance that this isn't super widespread. Yeah, so there's a story from ESPN that's been picked up by ABC News. Uh, it's David Purdom, I believe, had the story. And Greg Ambrosius, who we both know, we've played against Greg in leagues, right? We've played in labor. I've known him for probably over 10 years now, at least. Here's here's the quote from Greg in the story. Nothing's more important than the integrity of a pay-to-play contest. We built up 20-plus years of integrity through transparency and everything we've done, and by one action, it's put all of it in question. It's put me and everybody associated with our company in question. We're doing everything we can to make sure that we know everything about what happened, let people know, and to make sure it never happens again, end quote, which... At this point, I think that's as much as you can say. Like You you just have to figure it out, and I think that's what they're working to do right now. So I I understand apprehension about wanting to sign up right now until there's more information completely makes sense. It's a really disappointing story. Amateur sleuths out there, in one of my group chats, they've got uh, the free agent auction history uh, for the player in question. Mm. <laughs> and they're combing through it. Uh, there's an apparently a, a $400 buy of Jared Kelnick that uh, uh, was probably not done for cheating. <laughs> cheating. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, on to outfielders. Speaking of Jared Kelnick, I don't think he's going to be in this one. Uh, we might get to him. He, he's on the rundown. That was before before, before we knew we there was a, minutes of news. an industry-related <laughs> scandal to talk about. Yeah. And But there was enough other news to talk about stuff going on with players as well. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We begin today, for outfield preview purposes, with Cedric Mullins. And this is Tier 5 in the outfield. We're looking at picks 130 to 160. We're still working off NFBC ADP just to look at where players were being drafted. Again, we're going to continue to use the ADP for the rest of the series just for the sake of we need something to structure what people have been doing in drafts, what this means for the future. As I kind of indicated before, it's still too early to say. You got Cedric Mullins, Teoscar Hernandez, Anthony Santander, TJ Friedel, Jorge Soler, Ian Happ, really solid group of players that go in this group. And I don't know if there's a single one that I would say is necess- like a full-on avoid. I think if there's one that I'm skeptical of, it's TJ Friedel, and it's mostly just the power that I'm really not sure about for Friedel. But of this group, Cedric Mullins was an early rounder each of the last two draft seasons. And what we saw in 2023 was an uptick in strikeout rate accompanied by a little rebound in barrel rate, but he lost some time, only had 455 plate appearances, and that probably kept him from getting to 30 steals again. It really seems like kind of a pivotal year for him in Baltimore just to establish himself as someone that they're going to continue to have out there on a regular basis as an everyday guy because their outfield is also getting more crowded. It's not as loaded as their group of infielders right now, but they have options if they don't like what they're getting from Mullins. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to push back on that a little bit because I don't really think Ryan McKenna, Sam Hilliard, Jorge Mateo um, are good or very good options in center. And I don't think Colton Cowser is a center fielder myself. Um, and so I think that they want him to succeed, and I don't think that they have a ready-made replacement um, unless – uh, they start running Joey Ortiz out there, uh, which would be interesting, <laughs> but, um, you know, it would be a way to, to use their infield surplus to do something different. But, uh, I think that he needs to be there, uh, for them right now. I think that's why they haven't traded him for pitching. Um, and, um, also, you know, I wanted to just mention he got hurt last year. He had a fairly bad groin injury and that was in May. And so what we got here on the, on the, screen for youtubers is his hard hit rate at Fangraphs and his woba and you see this huge dip in his hard hit rate early in the season and that's got to be the injury i mean that a groin injury that he came back from maybe a little bit too early struggled with after what i like about this graft is that the hard hit rate recovered to 2021 levels by the end of the season now his woba line does not um, and it's not like he ended the season with a great September, but I did look and there's not really a difference in, um, 
how predictively important a second half is versus a first half. Um, second half is slightly more important than the first half, but you know, you'd rather use the whole year. And what I see is a guy who projects to be uh, above average with the bat, um, above average with the glove, uh, and a great, like a, a really good fantasy player. And he's going be below where he should be going. This is an $11 player, um, you know, surrounded by, you know, five and $8 players. Um, so I, I've been taking Cedric Mullins where I can, I think, uh, a year off, uh, a year of re- uh, off season of rehab with the, the groin injury and everything. Like I, I could see him getting to 30 steals again. If I only get 16, 17 homers, I'm okay with that. That's non-zero. That's a non-zero power power line. Worst case scenario is maybe, um, he gets platooned. Uh, last year, he was nearly nearly average against lefties and righties. He he, you know, sort of famously used to be a switch hitter, uh, and he stopped switch hitting. Um, I don't know. Uh, would Jorge Jorge Mateo is uh, what is he? Left handed, right handed, righty. So he could he could be the Mateo small side platoon, screen, but could could steal steal some stuff from him, and, and yeah, that could happen. But I, I like him as a cheap speed play. I think Mullins makes sense where he's going right now. There's still plenty to like. There's not a lot of guys who could steal 30 bags who are available from here on out. No. And the, and, the, and the guys who are uh, often have no power. There's a lot of, of similarities in the players that go for like the next 150 picks in the outfield. You have this uh, group of guys that's like mid-20s power with an okay average kind of lowish OBP. Uh, you've got the barrelers with the high K rate that could hit 30 homers, but could also hit 220 if they have bad luck on balls in play. You have some big side platoon guys that won't see lefties that are going to lag a little bit in counting stats. James Outman. Yeah, so you've just got like... Jared Kalnick. A few common skill sets up and down the next few tiers, and when you find someone that sort of breaks that mold, that's probably the player you want to be the most interested in relative to the others in each cluster. Uh, Tasker Hernandez is exactly that that masher that you know could have things go sideways because the K rate is so high, over 30%. But He also belongs in the platoon risk uh, category. Although he's a right-hander, so... He's a righty who's getting 23.5 million. Yes, deferrals to the right, Dodgers. Right. Why did the Dodgers bring him in if they're not going to give him a lot of playing time? I think the, the drop-off in time... He gets the 678 plate appearances during his lone season with the Mariners. He's probably going to lose 100 plate appearances off that just because they can mix and match. And I don't think they want his glove in the outfield every single day. I think that's a little bit of a downside for Hernandez as well. Because Otani is the DH. I think whatever he's going to lose in playing time can be offset by the lineup around him. So, yeah, he maxed out playing time-wise last season to get to 93 RBIs and 70 runs. He's going to come close to those numbers, even with 80 or 100 fewer plate appearances, just by being a part of that Dodgers lineup. Yeah, it's interesting that this Dodgers lineup, I was just looking at that, that bullpen. It's just, it's funny how different the Astros approach to the bullpen was. <laughs> well, that's, that's one of the spots everybody thought Hater might end up. Yeah, they're super cheap in the bullpen, but they got to be cheap somewhere, I guess. Yeah, Teoscar is just not my kind of player in terms of the super chase and uh, being 31. Um, but even if he uh, continues to add to the strikeout rate, which I think is 
basically where that chase ends up manifesting as you age because you make less contact on pitches outside of the zone. Even if he strikes out 32% of the time, 33% of the time next year, um, what what will he drop to with how well he hits the ball, the 50% hard hit rate and everything? Would he drop to like 240? Uh, I think he'd still be pretty valuable at 240, you know, 25 to 28 with non-zero steals. Yeah, barrel rate's consistently good. Doesn't look like he's showing any signs of slowing the little thing in the metrics that gives you some pause. The O-swing jumping up to 38.5% last year. Maybe more aggressive in a walk year. Uh, Hopefully something he can rein in just a little bit, even though he's still playing on a one-year deal since he ended up getting north of $20 to go uh, to Los Angeles. So, I'm okay with Hernandez. I just think there are some similar players that go later that I'm more likely to draft. I'm a little more likely to have him as a Dodger than it would have been if he'd stayed in Seattle. I'm also, you know, just looking for stolen bases uh, in this part of my drafts a lot, especially in the outfield. Outfield is an easy place to get stolen bases. Uh, Somebody like Ian Happ is uh, more exciting to me. I know Happ goes a couple of picks behind him. But with the 14 steals last year with the new rules, I kind of believe that since he was a steady nine guy before that, Ian Happ was. He also hits the ball hard, not quite as hard, uh, but he also doesn't strike out as much or hasn't recently, definitely doesn't chase as much. I like this sort of uh, disciplined profile. He doesn't have any of those markers that make me nervous, like a 50% ground ball rate or a 50% fly ball rate. Um, his BAPIP is fine. You know, he's, he's, he's just a fine player. He's just fine. He's not, I don't think that there's another level because he's already 29. Uh, and we've been hoping for kind of like maybe a big breakout season, but if the breakout season was last year, 250, 21 homers, 14 steals, I think Ian Half can do something like that again. And it's kind of just more of the type of package that I'm looking for at this part of the draft. I think as long as you've got a balanced team, Hap's exactly what you want in this range. You just, because you further everything, right? Everything right. He just keeps just, yeah. keeps moving all your targets right where they need to go. A max volume player uh, doesn't really have like a bad recent injury history. I just think all the skills consolidation we've seen from him looks pretty legit. Projections say everything he did in twenty three is repeatable. I I agree. I, I don't have a lot of pushback on this. If you're chasing speed in this group, Friedel sort of jumps out. He was a big miss for me last year. I had zero shares. He popped 18 homers with a 3.2% barrel rate. I got to do some searching to see if anybody had similar number of homers <laughs> with a lower barrel rate. It's hard to do that. But Great American Ballpark works believe. wonders. 13 homers at home out of the 18. 15 of his 18 came against righties. He does have legit speed. He seems to be the preferred option in center field. So those two things are good, right? I think you can rely on the playing time against righties, the speed being there. Where do we go with the power? Like, what else are you getting from Friedel this time around? Because I am very nervous about that power. And the projections are just like, hey, he's in this park. It's going to do it again. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would shave two or three or four homers off that uh, off those projections. ATC is for 16 homers for Friedel. Uh, at least take that. At least take that projection if you're 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 gonna run with Friedel. Uh, on, on the other hand, you know the projections all say for regression in the speed category, but why? I mean, we're talking about a 28 year old, I guess, maybe an aging related decline. But I don't think he's gonna slow down that much in this new rule. So, um, how about this for a projection for me? Uh, 260, 14 homers, and 30 stolen bases. Hey. 
what do I want from uh, Cedric Mullins? I was going to say, it's like light Mullins, right? Yeah. Like it's just, it, it's the, the, the slightly less To be fair, they version. go right next to each other. To be fair. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's happening. It just, it just gets into your head. He, do you know who the biggest projected bat is in this tier? Anthony Santander. No. Well, no, probably Soler. Jorge Soler, $15 player hanging out in the middle of a bunch of 10s and 11s and 8s. Jorge Soler does not have a job. Yeah, I, well, the, I can't draft guys. I, I mean, I can draft some guys without a job, but I don't think I can draft a guy like this without a job because I need to know what the team situation is. Right now, that projection comes on 644 player appearances for Jorge Soler. 34 homers. Yeah, if he gets 644, and the projections for a 119 WRC plus, so probably he'll play as a DH for whoever he signs with. But I want to know what that DH situation looks like, you know? And I want to know what the team looks like. As a righty, he's probably not going to get platooned and lose all the playing time. But I, I just want to know a little bit more before I believe a 600... Like, he's hasn't done 644 since 2019 and that was the only time he ever did it it's the royals right yeah i think he needs to be on a bad team because it has to all come pretty much at dh and most good teams have other guys that are good that they want to give breaks to defensively who could we put him on the worst the blue jays are showing interest though nationals rockies marlins yeah, see, i think the blue jays would be a good a, a a good fit um but they have Alejandro Kirk, you know, kicking around there. And so that'll have ramifications. And I think some of it for Soler, you know, like mm-hmm. you could have, maybe the platoon is not obvious to us. Like maybe Kirk's contact rate plays better against high, like high velo fastball guys. So Kirk is in against high velo fastball guys and Soler is in against other guys. It's still, I think, going to cost him some plate appearances if he goes to Toronto. A good place for him to go uh for the dh would be like washington that'd be that would be a top shelf place for him to end up um, yeah he could do some damage there the rockies signed blackman for another year so i doubt it uh he could reprise with the marlins uh pirates signed kutch athletics i don't know angels i doubt it royals i doubt it reds i doubt it tigers i kind of like it for the angels actually yeah i like Solaire a little more than teoscar if the situations end up being comparable, I think the thing that helps hot Teoscar Hernandez again is the Dodgers lineup. Solaire is not going to end up in a lineup quite that good, but if he gets in a situation where he can play more, he might be more productive. He's a regular on the barrel rate and hard hit leaderboards. He doesn't always flirt with that 30% K rate either. So I like that. I think that gives him a little more floor. He is a zero stolen base contributor. So you really got to make sure you're accounting for that as you kind of build out your, your lineup. But is it, does he make more sense at this price than Kyle Schwarber does 60 or 70 picks earlier? Like I'm not getting anywhere near Kyle Schwarber at ADP, even though there's ceiling playing time potential. I'd at least consider Solaire if I'm chasing power in this range. And the batting average hit is probably not as extreme. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. He, you know, he has that 48 homer season in him and, you know, on a bad team. Like, if he went to Washington, I could see him do 40 plus. He did 36 last year in 580 plate appearances. So he still has that, that, that sort of top shelf power. Yep. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, you know, I think next on the list, uh, Tommy Edmond 
if I'm doing this right. Uh, <laughs> Tommy Edmond is hurt. And what I last heard may not be ready for spring training. Yeah, and Tommy Edmonds is becoming a little more of a glue guy just because they've got a few younger players starting to pop up at all those positions, right? If you want to prioritize Win and Gorman and eventually Victor Scott, then yeah. Edmond has to play less over time. I think Scott's going to take a little while, so maybe we see a good bit of Edmond in center field once he's healthy. But Carlson has some stuff he can do. We will talk about Carlson where he goes, but... Dylan Carlson's not a total zero. Like there's a there's not a there's a chance that he finds some batted ball oomph and adds to what he has and becomes the starting center fielder himself. Yeah, Edmonds also younger than you think. He'll turn 29 in May. It's yeah, it kind seems, of like low like double digit guy. homers, 20 <laughs> plus steals. It, it it works. It's just not it's just not exciting at this point because it seems like the arrow is just gradually pointing down. The next tier is full of players that you want to draft. At least it's full of players that I want to draft because I can sort of dream on some potential with most yeah, of them. Yeah, this is an exciting tier, actually. So this includes Wyatt Langford, Riley Green, Ch- uh, Chaz McCormick, James Altman, Jaron Duran, and Masataka Yoshida. Really good group, kind of going in the pick 160 to 180 range. Langford sort of picks up our conversation from the end of our episode for part one of the outfield preview where... Look, it's 47 games in the minor leagues, and he's already number one on some prospect list. He just looks like a player who can do everything. He can control the strike zone. He can steal bases. He can get to a lot of power. He's a few years older than Jackson Churio and Jackson Holiday. So if you look at him just kind of compared to those guys, you might say, Wyatt Langford probably has a better day one floor just because he's a little older. Yeah, but in terms of uh, having an actual job waiting for him, it's probably he doesn't he's not in the same tier as Evan Carter and Jackson Churio because you know, there's a way to build a full, you know, competitive, just won the world series team without him. Um, and one thing I did want to clarify that's, that was interesting. It sort of popped to me as I woke up in the middle of the night. It's <laughs> funny about draft season. Like I don't sleep as well because I'm like, I should have taken <laughs> did you wake up i'm on the clock it's like it stops overnight <laughs> yeah I've, I've actually rolled over at like 3 a.m and checked if i'm on the clock um <laughs> the uh the the thing that occurred to me is i'm in draft and holds right now and so that has changed my bias and so when we're looking at players like jackson churio and uh is in specific you know in a draft and hold if you you don't have free agency so if you take a guy like him, then you have to take another two or three guys behind him that are starting level guys in case he's not starting, right? You need to take a guy in your bench that is a starting level outfielder that you can put in while Jackson Churio is not in the major leagues, if he's not in the major leagues. And so that's different than a free agency league or, for example, like a 10-team head-to-head league. I would love to take Jackson Churio. I would take him as my second or third outfielder, I think, because that's like a shot in the dark. And like, I'm going to, it's a YOLO pick. I'm going to, you know, you only live once and I'm going to do this now. But I also know, A, my first bench guy is going to be a pretty good outfielder. My first bench guy, like, where are, where are we right now? If you're in like a, a, a three, three outfielder, 10 team league. Right now, in this category, we're talking about maybe your fourth outfielder, aren't we? Yeah. 
Probably third or fourth. I have a funny build going right now where I've got three outfielders for my first three hitters, and I am hating it just because I'm not even far enough down the board to even be considering these names yet, and I feel like I'm going to get to the point where I'm just ignoring them. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, in in the, the more shallow your league is, the more the not, the more robust your waiver wire is. The more that I want to take a shot of Wyatt Langford in in that ten team, even in a ten team five outfielder league, w- take Wyatt Langford as your fifth outfielder, you know, or your fourth outfielder. It's fine. You can you can even survive maybe a week or two while you're waiting if they put him down for a week or two and then bring him up, you know. So there's uh, you know there's there's different leagues where these things are more likely. I don't think I'm going to end up with a Wyatt Langford if I could take uh, somebody like a Riley Green that I'm excited about. Uh, I think I have a, a a little bit of. Did I send you something for Riley Green? <laughs> yeah, you did. I was gonna, I was gonna fire it up. I, uh, the batch uploaded these and it didn't show uh, up. Here it, it is. is: Riley Green's uh, ground ball rate over time, and I see, uh, you know. If you're looking on YouTube, the WOBA line, which is the blue line, goes up right when the ground ball line, which is the red line, goes down. There's an inverse relationship with how many ground balls Riley Green hits and how many, uh, how well he's doing. And, uh, and and then you look at Riley Green's uh, minor league ground ball rates and you realize that like he could improve upon the 48.9% ground ball rate he showed last year again. You know, and you look at his sort of what his how his season went. You give him the 40 percent ground ball rate or the forty five percent ground ball rates that he was showing in the major leagues in the minor leagues, and you give him an above average ISO. You give him an above average ISO and probably all the playing time he wants on that team. I think you give a guy who's going to outdo his projections. I think he's going to hit two eighty with twenty five homers and ten steals this year, maybe more, fifteen steals. So if you want breakout potential with a job and this is what i've been talking about when i talk about like oatmeal-ish like oatmeal-ish floor with a has a job but then a ceiling on top of that riley green is that that type of player that gets me excited right he's 23 and he's already got two seasons in the big leagues injuries have slowed him down a little bit so that the keys are having a full healthy season which he seems more than capable of but then it's getting the k rate down as well right there's a future 60 grade on the hit tool when you look at the fan graph scouting grades i think yeah. we're seeing flashes of that already i like that we saw that improvement with the ground ball rate really good babbits everywhere so like this mm-hmm. is the guy who sprays it around but he hits it hard yeah a little more in the barrel rate in 2023 as well i think that is something that separates him is it like you can give him a similar projection to other players in this group but there's a higher chance higher likelihood that he actually exceeds that projection than some of the older players on here who might be you know finished products already I do really like Chaz McCormick. He's also in this cluster. I'm surprised for the the early draft market love that's being shown to Yiner Diaz. I'm surprised Chaz McCormick isn't getting more of a boost so far. He should play more with Michael Brantley's retirement plus Dusty Baker being out of the picture now. McCormick turns 29, though, in April. So I do think there's sort of a this is all you get in terms of skills. But it, it's kind of like the I feast on fastballs. I've got five category skills. Now I've got a path to everyday duty. It's a slightly older version of Nolan Jones in terms of the categorical balance. Less raw power than Jones and certainly a different park situation. Not getting to play half his games at Coors. But I am surprised the market isn't more excited about Chaz McCormick right now. Is there something you see in the profile that might be holding people back? It's, I think it's like prospect bias. I mean, 
<laughs> he was never a prospect. He, when he graduated, he was the 18th ranked prospect on his own team, uh, according to Fangraphs. He was a 40 future value guy. So this is he, this is someone who has outproduced what everybody thought of him. I like what he told me about becoming more upright. And I wrote about this last year. He, he he became more upright, and just by becoming more upright, he was he was able to turn some of that opposite field power into pull power. And so, what you see for him last year is uh, his best pull rate. I think he can keep that up. He's twenty eight, and he's maxing out what he's done. And but and he wasn't being played every day. New manager, so I think the upside comes from a new manager. And the idea that this new manager is probably going to stick him in there every day. Yeah, I think you at least want to see what happens. You could do that for the first three, four months of the season. If we see skills loss as part of maybe being a little overexposed, then come trade deadline, they can add some of the outfield mix and go back to playing him a little bit less. But I think as they're built right now, I mean, Kyle Tucker, everyday guy in right. You've got some combination of Myers, McCormick, Mauricio Dubon, and Jordan Alvarez to take center, left, and the DH plate appearances. Dubon for me is a is a classic uh, utility guy. So, yeah, his playing time really popped last year because of the Altuve injury. Yeah, I think I think uh, Dubon's a great guy to have on the team, and and they had a bit of a heist there, I think, uh, in getting him for almost free from the from the Giants. But he's not a starter for me. And so, uh, you know, with an older crew, uh, you want to have a Dubon, but I, I don't know why Fangraphs, Fangraphs is, is contributing to this by putting Jake Myers atop the, uh, the depth chart there. And Jake Myers career WRC plus is 88. Uh, his projection is 91. McCormick's is higher. I wonder if there's uh, some sort of nod to defense because they have McCormick playing left and Jordan Alvarez DHing. Um, but Jordan Alvarez has played a fair amount of the, uh, the outfield. And what I was saying at the three O show is I think the Astros are done spending because they're right up on the, uh, the second apron of the, 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 the luxury tax and they wanted a lefty bat and they have a cheap one, John Singleton. You know, I think that they're just going to do, uh, John Singleton and Yanir Diaz, um, as their DH and most days it's going to be Alvarez McCormick Tucker in the outfield. Yeah, I'm looking here. Outs above average, which is, I don't know if it's just all outfield. He's but like surprisingly okay, right? He's not terrible. Plus four. Yeah. Right? Not a great arm, but I got yelled fine. At. I got yelled at for saying him near DH. <laughs> no, I think I think McCormick's fine for center field. Oh, oh no, Jordan Alvarez is out, outs above average. Give me that. Oh, oh, Jordan? Oh, I think boy. it's zero, which is fine. Well, yeah, and again, I think that that outfield that left field in particular i know it's a little it's a small tricky one. playing the edge but geez i mean yeah like, it, it helps it helps cut down if you have a range problem uh, he's he's a minus three but it's, it's not like bottom it's not like he's not among the h's <laughs> he's just among like oh like not great outfielders right right yeah so i think i think jordan is well and i think the other part of this too if you like yiner diaz's bat and you're not happy with how he's catching that's you're going to catch Caratini 50-plus games. Yeah. And you're going to keep Diaz in the lineup as the DH. And Alvarez is going to have to play left. And McCormick's going to have to play center. So there's there are other factors in play that sort of dictate where McCormick fits in defensively. Last three in the group, Outman, Duran, and Yoshida. I'm out on Outman. You're out on Outman. He started off red hot, 
cooled off, so kind of leveled off a bit. Outs, such a, a team that could, uh, you know, put Taylor in the outfield. I don't think he, I think I don't think he's going to see many lefties. His projection is for zero dollars. His defense is really important, though, and I think Taylor looks pretty cooked. So I, I think it could be a strict platoon situation. You get power, you get speed. I'm okay with Outman here. I think there's enough to say, okay, yeah, I need I need 20 homers, well, okay I need 15 in weekly steals. So right. Well, yeah, you got to watch the schedule, and yeah. those kinds of players can be frustrating if they catch a heavy, heavy run of lefties. What do you think of of Duran as a guy who's alternate site? Haven't said that term in a little while. Alternate site power surge really kind of finally showed up in the big leagues a few years late. Uh, 482 slug last year was a career high. 33 for 37 on the base paths now as a big league player. And there was a strikeout rate improvement last year as well. I'm just curious if you see him as a, a clear platoon player, much like Outman, or if you actually see kind of, a, I don't know, like a, a possible path to some time against lefties. I think the hard thing for him to make a leap into the top 100 is that the power really has to tick up even more, or he has to run wild. Like It seems like he's appropriately priced, but there might not be another gear for Jaron Duran. There's some real-life concerns uh, for me, which is that I don't think he's a center fielder. And this is a bit of a scouting thing. I mean, or just people in Boston are saying, duh. Uh, but the defensive numbers, do you still have that ounce above average up? up? I was going player by player. I'll get it for you, though. Oh, uh, you know, the Fangraphs defensive numbers are poor. When I watch him, he just, it's poor roots. Like, it's, it's the tools are there, but it doesn't, like, there was a sort of iconic couple last, I think it was last year, where it's, he just wasn't even in the right place. I think one time he just lost the ball. A couple of times he lost the ball completely. Like he's, it's. I don't know what it is, but uh, for me, if I'm running the the Red Sox, I put him in the corner outfielder. I put Sedana Rafaela in center, Tyler O'Neill in left, and Yoshida DH, and I run that out most days. If I want Abreu, uh, if I want uh, Willier Abreu in the big leagues and and playing. Then you know he'll be he'll be part of that mix, but I don't. That's my like, you know, game one of a of a postseason series. It's Tyler O'Neill, Sedano Rafaela, Jaron Duran, and Yoshida DH. Yeah, I think that's going to be their most common configuration. But because they've got you know Rob Ref Snyder as a small t- uh, small side platoon guy, they could mix in and a couple of interesting multi-position guys trying to break through in both Emmanuel Valdez and Willier Abreu. That could cloud up the DH situation just a little bit too. Your dogs are just furious. What are they so mad about? Deliveries? The cat has been, because it's cold, the cat has been spending more time inside and the cat likes to antagonize them. Oh yeah, that sounds like a typical cat. So the cat is sitting probably in one of their favorite chairs. And And they have no recourse. And they're just running around barking. Yeah, they, they nothing they could do about it would whoop them we have this like oh, they, black they panther know. large cat like just a panther of a cat that has swiped at him a couple times has made everybody in the family bleed i hate this cat <laughs> mm. surprised you still have that cat so what am i gonna do <laughs> find someone with fewer people in their home to take the cat and try and Fix I just, the cat. I don't know. Just hope for summer when he goes back outside more of the time. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, last player in this group is Yoshida. 15 homers, 8 steals in the debut. Low strikeout right player. Pretty solid contact quality. I just wonder, it, where's the ground ball rate going to go? 54.6% in his first season. 
I don't know if that's going to improve a little or a lot. We did see 20-plus homer seasons on three occasions from him in Japan, so maybe there's some room for that to come down. I noticed he's 23rd percentile in sprint speeds. He's probably not squeezing any more speed out of this profile. I, I think it could just be a little more average and a, a little more pop if he gets any better, but I think what you see with Yoshida is probably what you're going to get again in 2024. Yeah, I, I fired up the old graph machine to give you guys a graph of his rolling ground ball rate. And then I realized we there is no improvement. There is no upper. It's not any better. Nope. <laughs> it's just always 50-55. So, yeah, this is what you get. And it, it's a good player because, you know, by hitting all those fly ball, uh, ground balls, he hits a lot of line drives. I think the BABIP outpaces his speed. Um, you know, and so it's a good player for them to have. I bet you they saw some redundancy a little bit with uh, Alex Verdugo, um, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of here's a guy who makes a lot of contact, hits the ball on the ground, uh, you know, defense is iffy. So I think that uh, they just decided to keep uh, Yoshida. I don't know that there's that much upside, but from fantasy, the upside just comes from like, could he get to 650 plate appearances? I think the defense actually is what costing him that full max volume, not necessarily platoon issues. And, um, you know, I think he gets, he gets pulled early in games. And, you know, if they have Rayu there, they have another person who's kind of iffy in defense, but it's not going to be one of the better outfielders, outfields in defense. So, I don't really look at that def- that that outfield and say, oh, this is the person that will replace him, you know, unless Duran didn't start or Rafaela doesn't start and Duran starts in center and Rafaela replaces Yoshida, moves to center and Duran moves to the corner. That's a, a possibility, but it is how, you know, Yoshida loses uh, plate appearances. Yeah, I think the defense ends up being okay if you end up with O'Neal and Rafaela out there as two of the three starters on a regular basis. But we'll I talk about O'Neal here in a few Yoshida minutes. Yoshida for like, the batting average, though, for sure. Yeah, it's a good it's, batting it's average play. It's one of the few places that, like, you know, he, this point of this in the draft, you can be like, you know, I can improve my batting average. It's a slight flip on what you would get from Stephen Kwan, who goes in the next tier, where you're you know, saying, eh, I'm not going to get 20 steals, but maybe I'll get 15 to 20 homers, and I'll get 8 to 10 steals again from Yoshida. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods.
Brandon Nimmo leads off the next group. It's his pick 195 to 215. You've got Nimmo, Dalton Varsho, Lars Newtbar, Quan. Love shopping here, too. Christopher Morell and Kerry Carpenter. I'm, I think we know that Lars Newtbar is one of your personal favorites. You've worked out together. We, we saw a couple of things last year. The barrel rate came down, and the ball was hit on the ground more often. Those things are connected. My dog's upset now. I think she wants to get out of this room because we're recording, so I'm going to try and appease her here momentarily. Three IL stints, thumb, back, and abdominal. And that might explain the shift in batted ball quality. For Lars Nutbar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I talked to him over the course of the season, he felt like he was just a step away from, you know, being able to pull that ball. It's obviously something that, you know, he wants to do and that he did uh, for the first two years. So I'm going to I'm going to agree with you and think that there is another level where he puts together that, you know, sort of 10 to 15 stolen base level that he showed last year with the pull rate. Uh, that he showed in 2022 with the max EV that uh, he kind of added. The 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 that that's what he was doing uh, when we when we were working out driveline was trying to add bat speed. So you can see that in the jump in the max EV and the barrel rate. So you know the best uh, season for Newbar, and we could be coming up on it because he's 26. That is traditionally the peak year. The peak year for Newbar, I think, is 275, 25 homers, 15 steals. Um, and that's a super exciting thing to get down here, especially when the projection is fine. 260, 18 to 19 homers and 10 steals, you know? So I, I think there's another level past this, uh, and I love buying him here. Uh, I think just Nimmo is undervalued. Um, and what's cool about this tier is uh, whatever you need, you can kind of get here, uh, you know, as if you've kept, if you haven't kept your batting average up, then there's Quan uh and newt bar if you've kept your batting average up there's morell and varsho um and varsho for me has been a guy that's felt fallen in drafts and again uh did i give you a a, a bit yes i no you've got I made my own show yeah <laughs> it's just a stat cast it's, it's a screenshot of a stat cast mostly so you can look at that spray chart i think we may have talked about this back in the fall this isn't gonna change i don't think he got really pull happy I think part of what made Varsho more interesting when he broke out in 2021 is he was hitting the ball all over the park. It was a lower K rate. And I thought maybe batting average would be good to go with some power and speed. The approach he's using to get to more power is just one that makes you say, okay, 20 plus homers is safe and we know he can run. So 15 plus bags is there, but he is a batting average liability with this sort of batted ball distribution. I, I just don't know that like he's doing the like fly ball, pull fly ball, sell out for pull fly ball thing. And that means his walk rate has gone down, his K rate's gone up. Um, and yeah, his power has gone up. But to do this kind of a sellout and have your reward be 20 homers in 580 plate appearances, I the only the only thing that says to me that this might change is that he didn't have a great season, you know, and he's been mm-hmm. something else before. So maybe he'll spend the offseason being like, I don't know, if, you know, selling out for power is actually working for me. 20 homers is like a low reward. I also think we need to consider just changing leagues, seeing a bunch of different pitchers for the first time, being in a new home park. Like those things matter. I, I could see him maybe splitting the difference between 22 and 23. So pushing the average back up to 230, hitting 24 homers instead of 20. And maybe if he's getting on base a little bit more, 
nudging up the runs and RBIs a little bit. We've talked a ton about the Jays as a group just underperforming last year with the new park dimensions at Rogers Center. If they can make a few adjustments around him, who knows? Maybe you get something a little better. He's fine where he's going right now. I, I like that he can help you in multiple categories. Yeah, and defense is going to keep him on the field. You know, he's not going to be replaced by Kiner Falefa or BGO for defense. Um, and he's even going to slide over to center a, a fair amount uh, against lefties when Kiermaier uh, sits. So I think he'll be much more. I think he'll be more of a, a of a full volume guy next year and get past you know sort of six fifty plate appearances. So I I see twenty twenty plus uh, for him. And again, that's that's great. Now, of course, the reason that they're all in this tier is they have they have you know some flaws. Nimmo's had some injury I- issues and isn't stealing like he used to. Stephen Kwan doesn't hit any homers. Newpar has some injury issues. And hasn't broken out like we've hoped yet. Morell strikes out too much. Varsho, uh, the low BABIP with the approach. Um, you know, there's definitely flaws in this group, but I choose to kind of see the good uh, because you're talking about pick 200 and later. You can kind of focus on, hey, what do I need right now? Do I need the power? Do I need the, the power and speed? You know, what, what am I looking for? And you can kind of get it here. Like, if you need to, you know, swing for the fences. Uh, you know, Christopher Morell uh, is literally doing that for you. you know? He is. It's working <laughs> for him. I mean, this is a guy that's a, a bit of a stat cast darling. Hits the ball really hard, has some speed. I think it's just a question of where does he fit defensively? It's hiding him mostly is what the Cubs have to do. But he could have multiple position eligibility again just because you can't. I don't think you want to make him a DH every single day. We've talked about Nick Madrigal as a guy that you don't really trust as an everyday player at third base, especially. So, you know, if you're you're willing to take a little bit of a defensive hit, maybe a lot of a defensive hit, Morel could get a lot of playing time there. I do you know that Madrigal, in order to throw the ball across the field, has developed a coping mechanism where he takes like four steps. It's not great, and it, with Morel, <laughs> you got a guy. Okay, so here's the thing: think about what the Giants did with J.D. Davis, who's like eight years older than Christopher yeah, Morel. Can't you coach up Morel? Like, yeah. Christopher Morell has 99th percentile arm strength. So if you can't get him with footwork to become a passable third baseman, yeah. what are you doing? Like there's there's so much there to work with and the payoff on the offensive side could be massive. I know he's got that free swinging approach that gets him to the gaudy barrel rates, a 15.9% barrel rate. It's fantastic. You want a guy like that in your lineup. It's it's the Teoscar Hernandez profile as a hitter with someone that might be able to play on the dirt. This is a good story so far in terms of what he's done as a hitter. Try to find a way organizationally to make it a little better on the defensive side. I think, you know, I was going to say maybe there's some real low floor concerns in terms of like, what if he doesn't play every day? What if he's a utility guy? What if he's a halftime DH or something like that? He has a, a 110 plus WRC plus projection Morel does. So like, do you think this team can afford to bench a guy like that? No. No. What is that? Like their third best hitter? Yeah. So I'm, I'm playing him and and I think he's going to, you just got to figure out where he's going to play. And what's interesting is that, uh, he doesn't have multiple eligibilities yet. Um, but, uh, at some point we'll come up with a list of players that should add eligibilities in the future. I mean, I just brought up one. So then Rafaela, uh, may add, uh, you know, some infield eligibilities uh, going forward. And I could see Morrell adding third base pretty easily. Yeah, I'm 
Rafaela, I know he's moved around a little bit in the minors, but I think he's their center fielder. I think they're just going to have to say, we need his glove out there. Let's see if he can figure it all out as a hitter on the fly. Like, There's a lot to like. There's speed that should be there Seems right like away. Seems like the kind of guy that could really benefit to on the on the hitting side from just being in every day. Yeah, don't don't play games with his playing time. If you got to bury him at the bottom of the lineup for now, you get got plenty of other guys that can hit in Boston. Uh, Car- Stephen Kwan, carbon copy of his 2022 breakout, just with a dip in batting average. I think you know he split the difference. He's fine. It's just it's cheap speed and not much else. Maybe some runs. Uh, what do you think about Kerry Carpenter as sort of another player that is like Morell in that the ceiling for playing time might not be maxed out? I think this is more of a classic big side platoon role because Carpenter is a lefty. Went first six for six as a base dealer on top of the 20 to 25 home run power that he brings. I think you could do okay with Carpenter as your last starting outfielder, but I like him a little more in daily leagues than in weekly leagues. Yeah, it's a fairly big split, and you shouldn't necessarily buy all the way into a split that's been produced in 102 plate appearances against lefties. But the weird thing is that he's kind of a different hitter against lefties. He strikes out less and he hits 54% ground balls against lefties. Kerry Carpenter does. It's only 42% uh, ground balls against le- uh, righties. So he he just, I think he's kind of a like a spray, like I'm just trying to survive type guy. He like goes more oppo and like, you know what I mean? Like I, I just, mm-hmm. I think he, he, he rolls over more balls and he's just, you could add some scouting to that split and say, you know, yeah, I think he's, he's going to max out as a, uh, you know, I get a little bit of Mike Yastrzemski type vibes, um, but uh, a little bit better power, a little bit better park, um, and uh, just a little worried that he settles in as a two thirds player. And you know, in I'm in enough weekly leagues where that's a little bit tough to deal deal with. But in daily leagues, um, yeah, I think he's a he's a he's a useful player. Yeah, it might even be a little underrated in leagues with daily moves. Shifting the focus into Tier 8, we're going to find some similar skill sets down here as well. This goes from Jared Kelnick to Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Tyler O'Neill, Starling Marte, Taylor Ward, Jack Suwinski, Jung-Ho Lee, and Whit Merrifield, who we talked about on the second base preview, also fits in at the back of this group. Let's start with Kelnick, one of the most discussed players on this podcast in the history of Rates and Barrels. (laughs) He gets a fresh start. And somehow with less pressure in Atlanta because he wasn't part of a blockbuster trade where he was supposed to be the guy, just gets to try and be as good or better than Eddie Rosario. And it was front-loaded 2023 production, looked really good early in the season, tailed off, kicked a cooler, went on the IL. Hard hit rate jumped 45.5%, still carrying a K rate over 30%. In some ways, this looks like Kerry Carpenter with more speed and some prospect pedigree, but even that sort of... Isn't, it's not fair to Kerry Carpenter. Kerry Carpenter has shown a higher floor than Jared Kelnick during their respective times uh, in the big league so far. So what could be different for Kelnick in Atlanta? Here's what's uh, different for them in terms of team build and, and, and stuff. Like Kelnick, there's not a righty on the Braves squad right now that fits in, in left field in a platoon with him. Hmm. I mean, you've got Forrest Wall behind him. No, that's like a pinch runner. And yeah, I don't think he's like a major league starter and he's a lefty. And then behind that, you have Marcel Azuna who played, 
I think zero games in the outfield since oh he played two games in left field in 2023 yeah he didn't doesn't qualify the vast majority of leagues he was part of the ut only group yeah so i don't think it's zuna then next is lurie garcia who signed a minor league deal so are they thinking he's a full-time player i mean in it and a full-time player in atlanta is a full-time <laughs> player you know, it's, they're not it's, messing around with a lot of, of shares there. David Fletcher got outrighted. He's yeah. not even on the team. They're just doing a lot of good spreadsheet work with their payroll, with the players that have come through. Matt Carpenter was there for a second. So if you don't project any improvement at all for Jared and you just expect one hot month and a mediocre month and then two really bad months, but you just play him all year and then you look at that 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 depth chart and say well he's going to get 650 a 650 projection for him even with no improvement is a 245 hitter with 25 homers and 18 steals right and of the players we've talked about today or will talk about today it's like 38 outfielders that have already played in the big leagues and a couple more that haven't debuted yet Kelnick is right in the middle of the pack for barrel right like he just he fits in this broader cluster has a bunch of different ways to possibly be good decent max decent max power i mean unlike some of the other guys that strike out 30 percent of the time off. like watching he walks a little bit watching him looking at his splits from last year like his monthly splits from last year are a wild ride and and not toad's wild ride i mean we're talking about uh a wrc plus in in uh march that was 169 and then it goes 98 71 90 92 like he was never an above-average player after March and April. I know I say this every year, but I think we need to take players who are less polarizing than Kelnick and spend more time looking at how much they bounce around from month to month. The ebbs and flows of a season might not be as wide as that, but well, they're probably so wider than you think. Or somebody else from this tier. Let's just look who's, at the who's a, who's a consistent player that goes somewhere near. Like, who do you think of as a consistent oh, player? I, I think of somebody who's not a consistent player is in this tier. Jack Sawinski. How I about Brandon s- Nimmo? I want to look the, at in the tier above. I want to look at Jack Sawinski's t- real quick. <laughs> I just want right. to look. I Ooh, would guess Sawinski, this, 163, 98, 110, 136, 55, 122. Woohoo. That was a that was a much wilder ride. Okay, let's right. look at Nimmo. Nimmo, one thing that does help you in being consistent is not striking out a lot. Nimmo's good. Walking a lot because we're looking at WRC plus splits. So even when you're not hitting that well, you can be walking. And so there you go. Nimmo, 152, 107, 138, 77, 130, 178. So that's pretty wild up and down. I mean, it's it's a positive one. It's a good one. But... It's wilder than you might expect. I mean, in July, he was a 77 WRC plus player and no good, had no power. And then there's always the... Hit 161. There's always the psychological, we remember the last thing that happened, the first thing that happened, we forget all the things in the middle. So So we forget Nemo's July. (laughs) if, If your best or worst month is at the ends, we tend to remember it. If it's packed in the middle of the season, it just gets wiped away. Yeah. Yeah, but I did have a a leaderboard that Sawinski's on real quick. Uh, I believe the barrel rate. Is it the barrel rate? <laughs> did one? you? Oh, you did. Uh, I thought you. I thought you threw him out there one. There one we tier go. Early, but no barrel rate for the outfield. Aaron Judge, Nelson Velazquez, who's coming up in the next tier, I believe. 
Matt Walner, who's going to go on our third day, probably. Joey Gallo, we talked about. Joran Alvarez, Kyle Schwarber, Adolis Garcia, Mike Trout, Giancarlo Stanton, Nolan Jones, Jack Sawinski. In fact, when I saw that, Jack Sawinski and Nolan Jones, Jack Sawinski is Nolan Jones. <laughs> Jack Sawinski and Nolan Jones are the same person. Uh, just one plays in Colorado, which is, an, which is good for him. And... There's a little bit more evidence so far that Jones can handle lefties with Swinsky. Not sure about that, but I, it's a question of whether they're going to give him the opportunity. That's what it always comes back to. It doesn't matter what you've done in the last year or two so much as it matters how much your team is willing to give you that chance. Yeah, and I think the Pirates are, are going to give him full playing time next year, I think. One thing that I like about Swinsky also is in hidden in that volatility, I believe is a decent upside, you know, and if he can find some consistency, I think that would take his game to another level. Plus, uh, just, you know, for anybody who's, you know, batting average focused, yeah, 224 batting average is bad, but he had a 112 WRC plus last year, Swinsky did, and he has a projection for 110, so I really think that the Pirates are going to play him every day and that, you know, he's one of their kind of young, exciting core, possible core members, you know, like, as much as I like Giovanni Piguero, you know, and, and Jared Triolo, like I, they're they profile a little bit more as role players. So if you kind of want to be like, who are we most excited about that is going to play for the Pirates this year? It's Jack Sawinski, O'Neill Cruz, and Henry Davis on the offensive side. I mean, uh, Reynolds is like a veteran at this point. I'm just talking about like young core that could step forward. Maybe Hayes, but he's kind of a semi-veteran too. I think I'm more excited about. Davis than I am about Sawinski. Davis goes even cheaper. He's probably going to have to catch this year and pick up catcher eligibility too. So that gives you some bonus flexibility. 41.7% K rate with 132 plate appearances against lefties last season for Jack Sawinski. That is in the the danger zone for, holy crap, it's not even close enough to want to keep giving him chances, but it's 132 plate appearances. You really shouldn't make a decision on that if you can afford to give him the playing time and see if he can improve. There's some research I'd like to see is if you look at component factors uh, for platoon splits, if you can, you know, be predictive, if you can find a way to be more predictive of platoon splits if you look at the component factors before you look at results. You know, because what we find is that platoon splits are not predictive in small samples. Um, and yet we see players that are totally different, like we're saying Kerry Carpenter and Jack Sawinski. You know, the strikeout rate, burgeoning the ground ball rate changing what if those things are actually more predictive if you focus on them yeah I think that's a really good point I think if I were in a decision making position the biggest thing I'd want as proof of concept that you deserve more chances against same-handed pitching is a low k rate if you have a high k rate you seem kind of helpless in that split you're just overmatched you're offering nothing O'Neill Cruz's problem too yeah yeah but at the same time if I'm projected to be a non-playoff team i'm maxing out the players that i think could have the most long-term value getting those chances to learn and hoping that they can make some progress uh, this group's full of different types of players like lourdes guriel jr to me is the anthony santander roto bundle in a less pricey package it's so boring <laughs> but it's cheaper than santander a little yeah. less power i think is, is fair to say probably better batting average floor than santander though and i think late batting average as we say often it is hard to find so I'd kind of like Gurriel where he's going. I think I said this at the time that he went back to Arizona, happy that he's staying in a 
kind of comfortable place where things went so well for him last year. Uh, Tyler O'Neill probably gets the rare health grade D for a player in his late 20s. We'll always have 2021, and I think we've looked at him as someone that could possibly make good on a move to Boston, right? You get the green monster, you get the chance to you know, pull the ball and be heavily, heavily rewarded. It's the question of whether or not he's going to do it consistently. Yeah, we've got a, a, a rolling graph up uh, on YouTube for Tyler O'Neill, and it shows his pull rate and his fly ball rate and his ISO um, over the last uh, two years, and they are all in lockstep in, in that when he pulls the ball in the air is when he uh, has power. <laughs> it's like pretty much the same graph, you know, uh, all three colors doing the same thing. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, I've talked to him and he said he wants to let the ball travel. And that's probably why he had the best strikeout rate of his career last year. Um, and one of the worst pull rates of his career. But I don't, I don't know that you say to yourself, let the ball travel, you know, and uh, have the year that he, he had last year, which is the second worst year of his career. Um, or actually, uh, mm, third worst. <laughs> But like, but below average, I don't think you hit, even as a player, you know, hit 231 with nine homers in half a season and be like, okay, that was the, that's the philosophy I want. And then you get to Boston and you just see that big old green monster. Like, I think that even if you don't say anything out loud, like your brain's gonna be like, go hit that thing. (laughs) Hit the ball off that big thing right there. He's been pretty much league average with the bat these last two seasons. You kind of add it all up together. It's like a 2020 profile. He still runs well around all these different injuries he's had too. Pretty efficient base dealer. Uh, I think it's just a question of like, where is that average floor? I think if he gets more pull conscious, maybe the batting average doesn't jump up that much if he keeps spraying the ball over. He's so strong. I, I think that's part of the temptation for him of letting the ball travel. Is like I'll still we've hit seen, it out. We've seen the guy. He can he can take an outside pitch and, and drive it out. So if you have that as part of your skill set, you kind of get caught where you're you're going to let the ball travel a little bit more. And this is the the downside of, of that approach, I think, is what we've seen these last two seasons. The 522 uh, plate appearance uh, projection would be low if he's healthy all year, I think. Right, because, but he's got one season where he's topped that. Yeah. So I, I think in terms of like when he's healthy, I think he'll be on the field. Uh, the question is, is health. Um, you know, another, the, the player that is projected, uh, the best in this tier, uh, has never played in the big leagues, Jung Hoo Lee, uh, mm-hmm. with a steamer. And it's also a, a funky projection. It's a little bit like Masataka Yoshida actually uh, with a totally different skill set, but like 291, uh, 12 homers and nine stolen bases for Jung Hoo Lee. I think he will max out his playing time, you know, and I think, you know, coming to America and the Giants needing uh, a, a a center fielder and needing someone on that team to play every day because they platoon everywhere else. Um, I think Jung Hoo Lee is going is going to play every day. You know, every day being 150 plus games. Um, and so, I looked at his batted ball stats, and I I don't think he's going to hit more than 10 homers. Um, but you know, given the rules being so different in the major leagues, um, and him being another year out from his uh, from his ankle surgery, what if Jung Hoo Lee is more of like a ten fifteen guy or even a ten eighteen guy? Uh, it seems like Stephen Kwan, you know, a lot lot further down in the draft. Kwan with a little more power, you know, I think that's 
that's a skill set that plays. You got to be careful not having too many players like this because the power is light relative what you need. <laughs> right. Jeff McNeil's a little bit like this, I think, in some ways. Uh, Von Grissom's projection is like this, but I think Von Grissom's projection might be wrong. Like, I, I think he's probably a little better than the projection suggests. Tell me about that. Well, <laughs> mostly, I think there's some evidence in Von Grissom's profile that he's going to steal more bases than projections suggest. I think mm. he's 13 for 15 at AAA. He went 20 for 24 in 74 games at high A. So yeah. he's been really efficient. He's run high OBPs in the past. I think he's, I think he's one of those guys where we're going to see like more of his skills come together with a, a steady run of playing time in Boston. And yeah. if it's not some power, it's going to be a surprising boost in speed. It's really, really good outcomes in the minor leagues for Von Grissom. Yeah, I think his that's what I, I got WRC kind of locked into. Above rookie ball was 135. And he's been young everywhere he's played too. So I, I think people should be more excited about Von Grissom. Not sure... <laughs> Not sure how he got in here other than having a projection that looked kind of similar power speed wise to Jung Ho Lee. Didn't he doesn't have to outfield talk about eligibility? I think he's shortstop uh, only. I don't see here. He's yeah. shortstop only. Yeah, what a weird situation that is. But yeah. he'll play second base. So there's a guy who'll add. <laughs> uh, yes, Luis Renjifo is supposedly in this tier, but we've talked about him already. Yes. Whit Merrifield for me is is like a non draft. Like I I, I I think he'll end up somewhere where he doesn't have a full-time job. He's a basic avoid. You've been getting a lot of Starling Marte, and the thing I noticed is the playing time just keeps trickling away. It's in the last four full seasons, throwing out 2020, going all the way back to 19, I believe. 586, 526, 505, and now 341 last year. He's 35, still under contract through 2025, so if he's productive, he plays a lot. 24 for 28 as a base dealer in 86 games as a 34-year-old? That's bonkers. Like that's thirty-five to forty steel speed. Even if you want to shave a little bit off for aging, thirty seems attainable as long as he can stay healthy enough to get closer to that five hundred plate appearance number again. Yeah, I think he's uh, totally a guy who plays when he's healthy. I think that the mostly the reason for that drop off in playing time is health. Yeah, it's all injuries. It's all injuries, and so uh, that's an easy way for me to use somebody, right? Like if he's healthy, he plays. I play him. What's hard is if he's healthy and he plays half the the week, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I see him as a guy who's going to play every day when he's healthy. If he gives me five hundred plate appearances, twelve homers, and twenty five steals where he goes, that's exactly what I want. That's that's all I'm drafting him for. And there's an interesting thing uh, here that I can add from from reporting, which is that even though his sprint speed has dropped to the 44th percentile, according to Baseball Savant, you know, I had a conversation with Tommy Pham about this where he's pushing back on that. And he says that their consideration of what is a competitive run and what isn't uh, kind of clouds the, the sprint speed statistic uh, for him. He said that they did a uh they did a a race in in spring training where they everybody raced and everybody uh they they, they timed everybody and Starling Marte won and was the fastest guy you know uh on the Mets and if you look at you know Statcast sprint speed for the Mets he was like the 6th or 7th fastest guy um and so another thing that uh, Tommy Fan pointed out is that if you're talking about times to first and stuff uh guys with one-handed finishes um, you know, are a little bit uh, closer to first base. And you have the difference between lefties and righties um, when it comes to running to first base. 
Um, you know, not all that stuff. There is a times two first base stat on on Savant, and it's actually more predictive than sprint speed. Is something that Jeff Zimmerman found. So, you know, that might be a functional speed stat versus a kind of uh, theoretical uh, st- speed stat. In any case, um, your what you just brought up twenty four for twenty eight uh, on base stealing opportunities. I think speed speaks to the fact that Marte still got the speed. And that's why I'm drafting where I'm drafting. I made a, a, a conversation a piece about how, you know, Mullins, I like Mullins because there's not that many 30 guys. And we've talked about what, like 25 outfielders in Cedric Mullins, 30. And uh, we haven't talked about a single guy that could steal 30 bases except maybe Jaron Duran. Varsho in like a breakout year. Varsho could get there. That's but it. you're probably right. I mean, Maybe Wyatt Langford, but that's like fishing in a that's like, different yeah, pond. That's, he hits a bound running and gets full playing time and just decides to steal all the time on a team that didn't steal. Like, I don't know. Well, it's a fair point. But the other category for Star- Starling Marte for batting average every single year is good in batting average. Last year is the outlier. 248 last year. The 2022, 292. 2021, 310. Even 2020 short season, 281. 2019, 295. Like, we think this guy's going to hit 263 this year? Like that seems kind of weird. I think it's I think it's a fine place. I I have received some pushback uh you know uh from a from a Mets fan saying, you know, he's toast. I, one thing that I will say about the eye test versus um you know, the statistical test is that it I think it uh, polarizes your opinions. And yeah, so I mean, yeah. Like I like maybe I was like I talked about Zach Geloff and how I thought he he was him, you know, and that's like that's a polarizing opinion. We're like I feel great about Zach Geloff because I've watched a lot of him and he had a great season and it was a great debut and there was nothing else to watch in Oakland, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a polarizing opinion. But I think it can go the other way where people will uh, see a guy and say, "Oh, that guy's toast." And last player in the go oh, ahead. Yeah. And you know, when you hear somebody say that guy's toast, my ears prick up. <laughs> it's like, oh, that could be a cheap pickup. <laughs> toast is a buying opportunity. Uh Taylor Ward also in this group had a hit by pitch to the face. Really scary situation. I was watching that game. It was in late July, didn't come back from it. I think you always wonder if there could be lingering effects just in terms of being comfortable in the box again after an incident like that. Failing that, I think he plays every day, has a prominent spot in the lineup for the Angels. And the barrel rate slipped a little bit last year, but I think he gets to enough power consistently where 18 or 20 homers with a lot of plate appearances should be there. Pretty decent run in RBI counts. Just kind of oatmeal-y for the spot, but doesn't seem like a bad pick if you're just trying to fill in with a solid player as your fourth or possibly your fifth outfielder in this range. Tier 9 is so big that I had to make three banners to cover it it covers picks 250 to 300 it's a wider range but there's so little that separates many of these guys you could justify taking someone at the back of the group all the way up at the front and i would not push back whatsoever so i'm going to reel off the names we're going to hone in on a few that we really like of this bunch this starts up at nelson velasquez you got chris bryant max kepler mj melendez brian de la cruz parker meadows sal freelich john carlos stanton will benson Alex Verdugo, Willie Castro, Jake Fraley, Jeff McNeil, and Brent Rooker. So, okay. I got the first five on the screen right now between Velasquez, Bryant, Kepler, Melendez, and De La Cruz. You mentioned Velasquez earlier. Love him. Hits the ball really, really hard. 
Yeah, love him. Hits the ball really hard. Uh, played a lot uh, when they were show when they were checking him out uh, post trade, and uh, I think that the depth charts are undervaluing how they're just you know starved for power. And uh, I do think that there's a little bit of a like Velazquez, Pascantino, Renfro, Melendez problem. Um, where they've got these four, are they all right-handers too? Vinny's a lefty. Okay. And Melendez is a lefty. That's good. But <clears throat> they're all poor defense. But I think you, you play Pascantino at first base most of the time. I don't think you need to make time for Nick Prado. No. And if you don't think that you need to make time for Nick Prado, then you have enough space for Velazquez, Renfro, and Melendez to play every day. So I think Velasquez gets to 600 play appearances this year. And if he does do that, I think you're talking 30-plus homers. Yeah, that's easily within reach. I mean, 17 in just 53 games last season. Interesting, too, that Nelson Velasquez's numbers against same-handed pitching were actually a lot better than his numbers against lefties. The small sample size, caveats, warnings. That's one labels. I wouldn't project, but I, what I would project is that he is good against righties. Like, you know, righty sees righties his whole life. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not worried about him like being passable against lefties. And I'm not saying he's a great player because the defense isn't good and the patience isn't good and he's not going to give you a great batting average, but, um, you know, I think they're going to play him. So here's a fun fact. Well, it's not really a fun fact if you are this player, but Chris Bryant by WRC Plus was the worst outfielder in this entire group for today's show last season. He had a 73 WRC Plus, and he was hurt in his defense, played a half season, popped 10 homers, didn't steal any bases for the second straight year. It's been a rough two years for him in Colorado. Um, kind of like as, as poor as the start for Trevor Story's time in Boston has gone. It's like, can we just push reset and see what happens if he gets near everyday playing time again? Because the slash line in year one, Chris Bryant hit 306 with a 376 OBP and a 475 slug. It was only 42 games. That was kind of in line with what I thought he would do in that park. Is that player still in there at age 32? Just as a, a little funny aside, uh, I'm in a draft where someone waited on outfielder so long that Chris Bryant is their number one. Well, maybe that person will be laughing at all of us if he stays healthy and gets to, gets to that slash line. For I mean, the Max again. EV has just tumbled. I think that the injuries have sapped his raw power. He wasn't ever a guy that really got to his raw power as much as you might expect in terms of the barrel rate compared to his Max EV. Um, the ground ball rate has been advancing as he's he's like as his career has advanced. Uh, like the thing that I've the thing that I would be most sure about him doing next year is hitting for a decent average. I think if you re-rack a lot of the same skills he had last year, he should at least hit 260, 270. But I just don't know about the rest of it. The the health, like I don't think there's any stolen bases in there. Um, the health is going to rob you. Like If he's in, should he play every day? Sure. The health is going to rob you of volume. And... Uh, I believe the sort of ATC projection of 466 plate appearances, 16 homers, 263 average. That's um, pretty forgettable. Well, it's just so many other players that go in this range should play more or project to play more because of better health profiles. 
So if you don't think the ceiling's there anymore, then I think he's an easy pass, even though he's very inexpensive. I don't know. If I don't have any other old injured guys on my roster at this point in the draft, I might actually take the flyer on Bryant. Just because it's... I think the degradation of skills has been accelerated by poor health, and if he had just average health, there might well, be a little more. Why not take my old guy in Marte? <laughs> well, I, the, I may may have already taken Marte, and yeah. then I won't be taking Bryant because I don't think you want a lot of you don't load past up thirty that. injured dudes. I think that's that's a bad what did I, that's a bad profile to lean into. What did I text you? I like old guys, but I want them on discount. Yeah, well, you're getting a pretty good discount, at least, on Chris Bryant. I don't think he's a must-draft. I'm having flashbacks to last year thinking Anthony Rendon was the best value on the board. I don't want to make that same mistake again with Bryant. Like That's that's the sort of negativity uh, on the health grade that I, I'm trying to be mindful of. Uh, how about Max Kepler, though, a longtime favorite of yours, who kind of did everything better than usual. I mean, the 36 homers in 2019 looks like a high water mark he'll never reach again. That was a super happy fun ball year. But just in terms of a career high in barrel Stop rate, stealing. 12.2%. I was, hoping, I was hoping he'd steal a little bit more with the new rules. Yeah, but like the hit, like the slash line, right? This is like yeah. a good slash line. 260, 332, 484. Best year almost of his career. Best across the board, pretty much outside of that 19 slugging percentage of power output. I think the issue is like, can he sustain it? Like it's always been needs to make an adjustment, needs to make an adjustment. He's made all the adjustments now. Is this finally a safe level for Max Kepler? I think so. I think there's like a, a psychological component and a real life component, which is that, you know, he did have the best BABIP of his career last year. And this is a guy who has a 253 career BABIP. So if you just, he had a 288 last year. So if you add the 30 points of BABIP to, you know, his career line, you you basically get what he did last year. <laughs> so you could just port that over. I'm sure if you start to parse the, you know, where his hits were and stuff, you'll actually find that, you know, it wasn't all because of the shift. It was, you know, it was larger than that. But that's where the psychological component comes in, which is I think what you see in a 12% barrel rate and uh, the pull rate that he had and the and the hard hit rate he had last year, which are all kind of some of his better numbers, or at least his hard hit and barrel rate numbers, is like, hey, I don't have to, I'm not worrying about jacking this into the air um, to get over the shift. I'm not worrying about the shift. I'm just trying to hit the ball hard, you know? And that's what I see in in his profile is a guy who finally just kind of let loose and hit the ball hard. So I believe uh, in the power and um, like, why did he get 491 plate appearances? Injuries, right? Yeah. I think it's, where are his career handedness splits? 77 WRC plus against lefties, but last year 108, and he did get 97 plate appearances. So he does get he has a platoon risk, a little bit of platoon risk, and uh, and then you know uh, some injury risk. So I like him as like a fifth or sixth outfielder where there's another player right next to him. Like I think in this draft, uh, he's my fifth outfielder, and my sixth and seventh outfielders are Sedena Rafaela and Edward Olivares. So I've got guys who are close or going to be in the major leagues that are going to play that give me options. So if Kepler's going to run into a bunch of lefties or he's hurt, I've got these other guys I can put in that have, I don't know if they're similar skill sets, but have similar value in my mind. I think that's a good way to think about it. And again, you may have this problem with other players around these last couple tiers. Not It's not just a Max Kepler thing. So it's part of the reason why you want to have probably you know, seven playable outfielders on the roster in a five outfielder league there's a good chance one or two are going to need to be 
managed based on the upcoming schedule. Uh, we'll finish this part of Tier 9 before we sign off for the day. So let's get Melendez and De La Cruz in here before we go. We'll kind of pick it up where we leave off today on Part 3. MJ Melendez has continued to struggle against lefties. He got the opportunities last year. He's no longer catcher eligible in most leagues. Uh, one of the worst splits against lefties of anybody we've talked about today. A 33.3% K rate, a 58 WRC+. plus. So their patience may run out. They may decide to let somebody else get those Especially chances. Especially like Renfro and Velasquez there. But if you were to say, okay, fine, MJ Melendez is going to play almost exclusively against righties, I can get on board with that. I think it ticks up the batting average a little bit. I actually think there's still some more power he's going to get to two years in a row with a double-digit barrel rate. Uh, I think Good there Maxi could be, man. yeah, there could be, you know, 20 to 25 home run power. I think the projections all have him at 20 to 22. I think it's maybe a little optimistic on the total playing time being that high again, but why not if you're the Royals? like Continue to see what this guy can do based on the quality of contact that he's made and seeing some massive home run totals. He had 41 homers in 2021 between AA and AAA. This is a really exciting player if you can get him to his ceiling. If you like Nelson Velasquez, you should like Andrew Melendez. I mean, they're kind of similar. Melendez has a little bit better plate approach. Actually, like a fairly much better plate approach, but um, yeah, there's the platoon issue. One is left-handed, one's right-handed. You're a little bit, uh, if you demonstrate the ability to play against righties as a righty, like you're less of a platoon risk because they're going to want to get you in there. Um, more of a daily league guy for me, Melendez. Yeah. Yeah. I think you like being able to get him out of there against lefties. If you can, De La Cruz, 257, 304, 411 last year, kind of more of the same in terms of the slash line played more. So he'd, piled up better counting stats. Barrel rate slipped with the extra opportunities. Uh, it was just overall contact quality. It wasn't like he was pounding the ball to the ground more. I don't really see him as a cornerstone sort of player. I see him as more of a bridge player in Miami. Once they've got someone better to play, they'll play Brian De La Cruz less. I just don't know if they have someone better to play in that spot right now. So if you told me he could repeat 2023. I probably wouldn't fight you on that, but I don't know if I see anything that's going to bring him up another level. Avisail Garcia has two more years on his contract. He's this year and next year. Woof. And he has really fallen apart. 63 WRC plus in 2022 and 46 last year. Minus below replacement, a win below replacement in uh, 100 games. I if it was if he was any better, I would say that Brian De La Cruz would be a risk for losing his job. But I just don't see anybody who is going to take his job if it's not going to be Abisail Garcia. I don't like Peyton Burdick is twenty six and was below league average in the minor leagues. Uh, John Birdie profiles as he may be their shortstop, I guess. If it's not Vidal Bruhan or, or Amaya, uh, Jonathan Davis is like a, a, a just a kind of a pickup. So um, maybe I'm missing somebody on the prospect side. Let me check no, that you're right. not. You're not <laughs> no. missing anyone. <laughs> okay, so nope. so I guess uh, he's he's fine. But I don't know players like this uh, that project to be league average with a bat and don't have defense just make me nervous you know it's like what if something better did come along or what if he played okay and the team was good and then they decided hey that's a place we can upgrade at the trade deadline i don't know it's and then in terms of fantasy 260 20 four stolen bases 
like used to be kind of close to average and maybe it is an average fantasy line but it's 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 with a down arrow for me find someone that does something better or at least offers you a reason to think that there's one more level there because i just do not see it in this case and there are guys but that go later than him that i like better for sure there's one guy in the org who's not a top prospect who I did draft in our draft and hold that we were in against each other a couple weeks ago. He's first base eligible, not outfield eligible. His name's Troy Johnston. He's a lefty. He's like 26 already. He'll be 27 in June. He hasn't debuted yet. Get 26 homers. Guys. 26 homers with 24 steals between double A AA and triple A last year. If you're wow. the Marlins, find a place to play that guy. Just give him a chance. See what can happen. Your, your team isn't that good. Like you can find some plate appearances for Troy Johnston. This could be something where a spring matters. Spring could definitely matter. He's played some in the corner outfield spots in the minor leagues. Most of his playing time has come at first base and they've got Josh Bell there, but DH maybe they give up on Avi Garcia and that opens up a ton of playing time where they could rotate guys like this in there. So there's your deep, deep, deep sleeper out of nowhere who doesn't even qualify in the outfield which is why these episodes the come so outfield long part <laughs> no he's we not even an outfielder another day of outfielders <laughs> yep i went too far off script yet again happens pretty much in every position preview but that's hopefully helping people get through the winter right it's january you need things to listen to things to watch uh, if you are watching this video on youtube and you're still here at the end thanks for hanging around hit the <laughs> like button if you're not watching us on youtube subscribe to the channel if you'd like a subscription to the athletic two dollars a month gets you in the door for the first year at athletic.com slash rates and barrels on Twitter. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of rates and barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.